end, and I kind of clipped little Polaroid photos on it between here and the end of the church. So I had a bunch of Polaroids, and then I just wound in the fishing line. You know, the noise that it would make as it hit the end of the rod, like... Picture, 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 picture. This is a bit what reading Mark's gospel is like. You get these snapshots of Jesus doing this, Jesus doing this, Jesus doing this. And Mark deliberately kind of goes, puts the one after the other. And tonight we're going to look at three of them briefly. To kind of pause from the this and then this and then this and then this. And just to take a slightly slower look at three of these snapshots of Jesus. Now, if you're a visiting church or you've missed the last couple of weeks, let's just remind ourselves of what we're doing. We're preaching through this whole book, uh, this whole biography or portrait of Jesus by Mark. Uh, The four different accounts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, uh, each have their own style. And Mark is very to the point. He starts by telling you what it's all about. If you have your Bible open, it's on page 990, Mark chapter 1. Mark tells you from the very beginning that this is good news about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. The Christ is a term that means God's promised King and the Son of God, the one that God promised back in Psalm 2, beloved by God with a purpose to suffer for his people. The Son of God is a theme that runs all the way through Mark. If you just flick forward to chapter 15, right at Jesus' death, In Mark chapter 15, verse 38, it's on page 1010. As Jesus dies, and I think the shadow of the cross of Jesus' death kind of hangs all the way through Mark from the beginning to the end. You're meant to be thinking of it all the way through. Hear these words from Mark 15. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard Jesus cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. As we look at these three snapshots of Jesus from Mark, we are meant to be asking ourselves, is this my picture of Jesus? Is this your picture of Jesus? How does Jesus feel about those who are outcasts? What is Jesus' purpose in his ministry? What power do Jesus' words have? especially when it comes to the forgiveness of sin. Let me pray for us as we look at Mark together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that you speak to us in words that we can understand. And we pray tonight as we look at these words in Mark, that by the power of your spirit, you would give us a clearer view of the Lord Jesus, that we might know him and follow him. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, so we looked briefly last week at uh, the bit that starts in Mark one thirty-five. It's going to help you heaps if you have it open. This little snapshot of Jesus getting up early. Don't know if you're a morning person or not. If you aren't, I'm sorry about verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, this is Jesus. I don't know if the Jesus you think of is a man who gets up while it's dark goes out to a solitary place and prays. 
Solitary places play a bit of a role in Mark's view of Jesus. I'm going to see a bit more of that in the next snapshot. But just be aware that the outside-inside metaphor is one that carries a bit of weight here. Jesus goes off by himself and prays to God. Now, unsurprisingly, the men that he's called just a few paragraphs before to leave their careers and their families and follow him, the fishermen, when they wake up and Jesus isn't there, they're a little bit concerned. Jesus has said, follow me, and now they can't find him. So they go and find him, and when they get there, verse 37, everyone's looking for you. Now, it sounds kind of nice on my level, everyone's looking for you. Hey, everyone's looking for you. It's a bit more urgent than that. It's not quite everyone's out to get you, but the sense, the sense of this sentence is everyone's seeking you out. Everyone's, everyone's out to, to be where you are. But Jesus' reply in verse 38 reminds us of his main purpose in why he came. Why do you think Jesus came? Why do you think Jesus came? Have a look at verse 38. Jesus replies, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. Jesus came to preach. Jesus came to speak with authoritative words about the kingdom of God. He says back in Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15, repent, turn back to God, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus came to preach. And so, having said that that's what he comes to do, verse 39 tells, well, what he did. Verse 39, he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogue and driving out demons. What? Why does he talk about driving out demons if the main reason he came was to preach? If we have preachy, preachy Jesus, surely, verse 39 would just say, so he travels throughout the synagogues preaching. But that's not what it says. What's the point of Jesus, Mark's record of Jesus, including the driving out of demons? It's to demonstrate that Jesus' words have authority. Back a couple of paragraphs before in Capernaum, when the evil spirit was cast out of the man in the synagogue, Jesus' words, be quiet, come out of him, they're the authoritative words. You're meant to realise that as Jesus has power, he has it as he speaks. Mark is forcing us to think about the authority of Jesus' words. Snapshot one, Jesus' purpose is to preach, and he preaches powerful words. Snapshot two, the man with leprosy. Now, Anyone here have leprosy? No. Um, We just have to get a little bit of context for this one. And so if you're a Bible flicker, come on a little journey to me, with me, to a place where your annual Bible reading fails. Leviticus. Come with me to Leviticus 13. Leviticus 13, page 108. We're just going to spend a minute or two thinking about what life was like for the leper in Jesus' time. The book of Leviticus teaches God's people Israel uh, as they live freely as his people, having been saved from Egypt, brought out across the river into the desert towards the promised land in the wilderness. It teaches them how to be holy, how to be pure, how to be an example to the nations around them of how to live well under God. 
And there's some pretty random stuff in Leviticus about how to be holy, how to be pure. And one of the areas that Leviticus 13 and 14 deals with is skin diseases. Now, I'm not sure whether you've burnt yourself lately or got a bit of a rash. Let me reassure you, you don't have to come and show Andrew or Roger and I the rashes and show us what colour hairs are growing out of them to see whether or not you're allowed in church. That would be weird. But it's what God's people Israel were instructed to do in Leviticus. So, Leviticus 13, page 108. Uh, I'm going to start reading just at verse 40. Now, apologies to anyone who's bald. Uh, When a man has lost his hair and is bald, he's clean. Two categories, clean and unclean. Clean means you're allowed to come into the presence of God at the tent of meeting. Unclean, you've got to stay outside, no access to God. Verse 41, if he's lost his hair from the front of his scalp and has a bald forehead, I'm getting there, he's clean. But if he has a reddish white sore on his bald head or forehead, it's an infectious disease breaking out on his head or forehead. The priest is to examine him, and if the swollen sore on his head or forehead is reddish white, like an infectious skin disease, the man is diseased and is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him unclean because of the sore on his head. Are you bored yet? Catch the next bit. Look at what the man has to do. Verse 45 of Leviticus 13. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt. Cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. you really know who's clean and who's unclean. You really know who's acceptable to God and who's on the outside. Torn clothes, covering the lower half of your face. Unclean, unclean. Now, come back to Mark. The man with the skin disease was just this person ostracized from his community, unable to touch or be touched by anyone who was deemed to be clean. If a clean person touched an unclean person, the uncleanliness infected, and that person too was unacceptable. Mark chapter 1, verse 40, snapshot of Jesus. What is Jesus like when it comes to people who are unacceptable A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus' guts churn. Uh, The Greek in verse 41 is kind of moved in his bowels, not in a gassy way, but just in a kind of churning that, you know, when you're wrenched, but with compassion, when not your heart, but your whole being goes out, when you consider the other person's situation and see how terrible it is. Jesus, wrenched, reaches out his hand and touches the man. I am willing, he says, be clean. And he, immediately the skin disease leaves him and he's cured. Jesus does what he's meant to do. In Leviticus 14, the instructions are for what to do when you've been cured or cleansed. You have to shave. 
head, your beard, your eyebrows. Do you know how long they take to grow back? My friend Matt burned off his eyebrows when we were in year seven with a lighter. Months he was monobrow in a weird lopsided way. You had to shave off everything, present yourself to the priest for washing, and then offer a sacrifice of lambs that were slaughtered, their blood poured out by the priest to make atonement for your cleansing. So Jesus, verse 43, sends the man away at once with a strong warning. Two things. One, see that you don't tell this to anyone. Two, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded in Leviticus for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the man goes out and begins to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Do you see what's happened in this little story? At the beginning, there was an unclean man outside the community. Unable to access the people of God and the privilege it is to be part of that. And by the end of the story, the man is clean and Jesus is outside. Jesus is on the outer. couple of things to notice from this little bit. Firstly, Jesus' holiness is contagious. Jesus' holiness is contagious. Not that when he touched the man, Jesus was suddenly unclean. But no, just touching the man, reaching out and touching the untouchable, makes the man clean. I expected it to say healed. You know, Jesus has been healing people. But Mark says again and again and again through here, clean, clean, clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. I am willing, be clean. Go and offer the sacrifices for your cleansing. Mark is trying to teach us that Jesus washes people clean and makes them acceptable to God. I am willing, Jesus says. What's your picture of Jesus like? Uh, None of us look particularly unclean. Torn clothes, veils over the bottom half of your faces. I don't hear anyone coming to church going, unclean, unclean. You're not standing at a distance because you don't feel like you're acceptable to God. But this is who Jesus came for. This is the person for whom Jesus is filled with compassion. And he doesn't stand at a distance from them, but he reaches out. He goes to the one on the outside, the unacceptable, the clean, the unclean. Mark makes it very clear that Jesus has come for sinners, for those who are unclean. And friends, that's, that's me and that's you. We can look in the mirror briefly and think we're okay. But when we stand before a perfectly perfect and holy God, the way we treat ourselves, the way we treat other people, and certainly the way we've treated the God who made us and sustains us, is far from acceptable. We are this man. We are outside, outside the presence of God by nature. And Jesus is filled with compassion and is willing to exchange places with us, to put himself under the wrath of God on the cross. 
so that we can have access to the Father. This is Jesus. It's got to make us think about how we have compassion on people. I, personally, I prefer my compassion from a distance. I quite, I'm quite fond of giving a little bit of money to people who need help from a distance. And you know, Don't hear me knocking sponsoring children. Don't hear me knocking, giving money to those who need it in other parts of the world. But Jesus' compassion is personal. Two snapshots of Jesus. The Jesus who came to preach with words of authority. The Jesus who came to have compassion on those who are unclean and wash them clean, even with a word. Third snapshot, and look... If you've ever been in Sunday school, you've seen this one. One of your Sunday school teachers was an engineer, wanted to build a house and like build a little lift that goes down into the house. Jesus heals a paralytic. I just want to beg you before we look at this to, to kind of unhear all the versions of this story you've heard and just look at what Mark describes here. Chapter 2, verse 1, a few days later when Jesus again goes back to Capernaum, his hometown, or homeland the people heard that he'd come home so many gathered it's been like newtown festival but there was no room left not even outside the door and he preached the word to them what did he do he preached the word to them that's why he came some men came bringing to jesus a paralytic carried by four of them since they couldn't get him to jesus because of the crowd they made an opening in the roof above jesus the house in Jesus' time, traditionally had a flat top. The roof was made of uh, kind of bearers going in one direction and sticks laid across it and then twigs going the other direction, kind of like building a fire in reverse, and then clay over the top. And so if, with a bit of effort, you could dig through it, it would have taken a bit of effort. And can you imagine being inside the house? You've, you're one of the chosen who actually made it inside the house to hear Jesus preaching and teaching. You're, you're there and there's like bits of dust Falling from the ceiling, like, what? We've come to hear Jesus teach. And Jesus himself. <laughs> and the man is lowered on some kind of weird makeshift stretcher. I'm imagining kind of coats tied together around the edges. It's, it's bizarre. It's desperate. I imagine you have some questions about what Jesus says in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. So just a quick, I'll step to the side and talk about this for a minute. When he saw their faith, is this one of those cases where the faith of the guys that bring the man to Jesus is the thing that matters and his faith counts not at all? I don't think so. I think there includes the man and his friends. I'll say that again. I think when he saw their faith, he means the man and his friends. The rest of the New Testament is pretty clear that, when I say pretty clear, I mean perfectly clear, that you have a responsibility for turning to God in faith and saying, please forgive me. That's the faith that saves. Ephesians 2, verse 8, 9 and 10 make it clear that this faith is a gift from God. If you haven't turned to Jesus, you can do it. You can do it tonight. And I warmly encourage you to do that. But when Jesus saw the faith of these men, you're meant to say, what? He saw their faith? Have they got like little faith meters sticking out the top of their head? Ah, oh, I see your faith. 
Mark's making a little bit of a statement here about what faith is. Can you see my faith? Can I see your faith? The book of James tells us that you can see my faith by what I do. These men display the fact that they think Jesus can heal the man. They consider Jesus trustworthy to do what he will do. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Kind of disappointing if you're paralysed on one level. You've seen what Jesus has been doing, healing, 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 and then suddenly, no healing. Disappointed. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Blasphemy, in case you didn't know, was saying that you were God. Which makes sense of the next statement. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The answer is no one. Can you see how Mark is reinforcing to us that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus has authority to forgive sins because of who he is. You are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Repent. Turn back to God. Now, I've got a pop quiz for you. It's going to be a show of hands quiz. Now, you've got to tell me where, which one of these two is easier to say. Verse 9. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. I'll give you 10 seconds to think about it, and then we can do a show of hands. Which is easy to say? Son, your sins are forgiven, or go take up your mat and walk. Thinking time, thinking time, thinking time. Okay, quick show of hands. Which is easy to say? Hands up for your sins are forgiven. Easy to say. Hands up for get up, take up your mat and walk. Hands up if you haven't voted. Chickens. It's not like you're being marked on this. On one hand, they're both pretty easy to say. One is slightly shorter than the other. Your sins are forgiven. Slightly easier to say. Get up, take up your mat and walk. Three separate commands. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. If I say to you, your sins are forgiven, how can you tell? If I say, get up, paralysed man, take up your mat and walk, on one hand, it's cruel taunting to say get up get up paralyzed guy if you can't do it it's disgraceful but jesus is trying to show by the thing that is visible the truth about the thing that is invisible mark is convincing us again that jesus words have authority and in this case authority to forgive sins Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing because he knows where he's going. Jesus is going to the cross where he will pay the ransom for sin. He can say your sins are forgiven because he's going to take the punishment for sin. He will pay the price with his death. So he can say the hard thing. Son, your sins are forgiven, and I'll show you that I have authority. And he says to the man, get up, take up your mat and walk. Imagine if you were lying there, if it was you on the stretcher. You're not able to walk. I can't, I can't fathom what it would have been like to jiggle my leg, to kind of push myself up. And 
I mean, Mark typically is just really, really blunt. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Do you think he walked out? Out of the crowded room? I reckon he was like, I got legs and I can use them. Probably not ZZ Top, but you know, like, Jesus' words, Jesus' words make legs that ligaments and sinews, I don't know what they are, talk to the doctors, they didn't work, and then Jesus spoke and they worked. That's astonishing. We've never seen anything like this, they say, about the man getting up. But what they couldn't see, but what Jesus wants us to see, is that his words, son, your sins are forgiven. His words carry authority. What are we meant to take from these snapshots of Jesus? The Jesus who came to preach. The Jesus who reaches out and touches those who are unclean. The Jesus whose words have authority to forgive sin. On one level, what what difference will this make to you this week? Who are you following? Are you following a made-up Jesus? Are you just following no one at all, doing whatever you think is right, following yourself? Jesus calls those who listen to follow him, to leave behind whatever defined them before. To hear his word and to follow him. Following Jesus is remarkable. It looks crazy. But if his words carry this authority, if his word, if his word is this powerful, we should listen to it. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that you show us what you are like. We thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, and for his words and for his actions. We thank you that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. We thank you that he loved us enough to go to the cross for us. Uh, We pray you would help us to consider Jesus afresh and we pray you would help us to follow him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.